0: What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Elevate Experience,
1: the podcast about overcoming struggles and adversity, and how that relates to addiction, recovery, and health. I am your host and the CEO of Elevate Addiction Services, Angie Manson.
0: And I'm Dallas Terrell, co-host and life intervention counselor at Elevate. Thank you so much for joining us, and let's jump right in. All right, guys, welcome back to the show. Today, we have a very special guest, Michelle Smith. Michelle is an author, counselor, TEDx speaker, and founder of The Recovery is the New Black digital community for women living or exploring an alcohol-free life. Michelle has appeared in media outlets including The Today Show, Scary Mommy, The Washington Post, and Authority Magazine. As a wife and a working mother of two, she fell into the mommy juice drinking culture, Michelle found a way out and has been in recovery from alcohol use disorder since 2016. As a certified addiction and mental health counselor, she provides services to other moms who are seeking supportive alternative alternatives to a boozy culture that tells us alcohol is an accessory to motherhood. Michelle has 20 years of experience in the field of addiction and behavioral health treatment. So that's that guys. Today we talked to Michelle Smith. We have an amazing conversation about treatment, about sobriety and lack of resources. The current climate is as far as recovery and treatment goes and just an all around amazing conversation. You know, it really left me feeling fired up to continue spreading awareness of drug and alcohol treatment, the perils of addiction and the idea that that drinking and doing drugs is normal and okay. So I hope you guys can take something from the episode. I hope you guys enjoy it, and uh, we're gonna jump right into it.
1: All right, today's guest is super awesome, Michelle. And recovery is the new black, which I absolutely love. That word, I myself wear a lot of black, so I can I can relate. And uh, it's much deeper than that. And and I think you know, tell us how. First of all, Michelle, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. And tell me how you came up with that name or that logo or or what you use there.
2: Yes, I have 20 years of experience working for the Department of Corrections. That's how I was trained as a clinician after college. And, you know, with the Orange is the New Black series, you know, of me being able to watch and say, yeah, it's not really what happens in prison and, you know, all the things I took that part of my love and passion for forensic psychology and mixed that with my love for fashion of everything is the new black. So it's kind of that trendy trendsetter lifestyle that kind of blended the two together. And that's, that's really how I ended up coming up with recovery is the new black.
0: Yeah. I like how it's, uh, it's rooted Perfect. in orange is it. the new black. I like that. That's uh, that is catchy. And that is trendy. I like that a lot. Yeah. Definitely. And
2: corrections corrections has my heart. It's just, you know, what I've my passion work and, it's just really what rooted me into this field. And I'll always, always revert back to the institution and the times that I've had behind the walls. So I love it too, thank you.
1: <laughs> wow. And and how does that happen? How do you transition from the behind the walls corrections to the mommy drinking culture that you specialize in now? How did that transition occur?
2: Yeah. So it was basically like, you know, I was trained in a crisis hotline doing internships through college. And I started working with these women who were, you know, homeless and looking for outreach. And I was doing transport from danger to safety. And I started getting these callers that were calling all the time and these frequent flyers. And I was like, where where are the perpetrators? Where are we trying to do the harm reduction and the preventative treatment and awareness so that we don't have all of these victims? And so there goes Michelle's idea of let's go into the prisons. Let's go see, you know, what people really do and what they think and how they rehabilitate. And so I started doing reach-ins with county and then they recruited me through the prison systems, which is really where my, about five years into my stint, I was working mental health during the day side. And at night I was working in a drug and alcohol unit in the penitentiary. And so my world became that. And so, you know, it's really a small piece of the world within the, the department of corrections, but like when it becomes your whole world of working 14, 16 hours in an institution, while, you know, life happens, you have children. I became prey to taking the weekend off or happy hour with those moms to find ways of connection and a professional that was burning out in the field was reaching for that external solution to an internal problem. And I was teaching relapse prevention to all of the inmates throughout the day. And as I was, you know, going on with my evening, I was sipping these bottomless bottomless mimosas more frequently than I had ever in my entire life. And as we know, with addiction, it's a slippery slope. And, you know, oh, I don't have a problem. I, I'm trained in this. You know, <laughs> I have this textbooks education, you know, baloney. Well,
1: especially, and addiction- Especially when you're functional and you're going to work yeah. every day and you're holding up all your responsibilities and you're doing everything you need to do. It definitely uh, builds in a lot of justifiers of why what you're doing is okay. Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. And I, I felt like a fraud. And I started to notice that my drinking was becoming problematic. And I I had too much you know, ego and too much pride to allow myself to say, Hey, I have a problem, you know, let's take a look at this. I can figure this out on my own. And as we know, we need that support and accountability and that community to be able to get through this, the hard part and live a healthy, fulfilling life. And so that was where my drinking really became problematic. And I really reached out to my culture
1: for support. Yeah, so let's talk about that for our listeners that don't know. I know Dallas didn't know what that was. So what is a mommy uh, uh, wine culture? You know, it's it's it was really like brought on by like the
2: mom bloggers of, you know, this Pinterest house feed, <laughs> your kids have matching outfits at Christmas. And it was just, you know, life's really hard and alcohol helps. And in this generation, a lot of women are expected to step up and do it all with a smile on their face. They don't get to pick if they work or stay home. I did it all. And I was expected to do it all without complaints. And so, you know, I think now women are realizing that they can't do it all, but they don't do anything about it. So we go and we have these outings and these get togethers and we complain about our partners and we complain about how hard motherhood is but we do it over a drink and it like becomes this tribe where if you don't drink you're judging and you're shaming us and it you know it's really innocent until it's not and you know like I'll always say it's glitz and glamour and it looks like a scene at a sex in the city until you can't stop drinking and that's where i got was reaching for that external solution to that internal problem and um hanging out with them enough because i was longing for connection hanging out with them you know i became susceptible when my world was falling apart i didn't process that like i knew i needed to i reached for my friends who were very quick to bring me
1: alcohol right so then it's become like a social thing and a coping mechanism just to uh survive
0: wow that's
1: absolutely absolutely And it's really common. I don't think people realize how common it is. Um, yeah, Down it up. is
2: it's it's like you can't even go to a two year old birthday party without balloons as a staple, cupcakes, and you know a couple bottles of wine and our culture. It's just what we do.
0: I don't think I've had as much attention on like the specifics of this culture, but what I do realize and recognize is the culture in general of just. To me, it seems like everyone, you know, starting in high school to college to just living living life in America, at least from from my experience or understanding is like the reward of living life is that you get to drink. You know, like there's like drinking and drugs is the reward to just going through the motions of life, you know, and it it's it's kind of backwards where it's like it's. What I've noticed is since I don't drink, obviously, I don't think any of us do here, which is awesome. So congrats to us. But to not drink, you have to almost justify why you don't, whereas it should be you should have to justify why you do. It it is very backwards to me, but that's that's just my experience.
1: Uh, Well, what I think what it does is it makes people uncomfortable. You know, it kind of like shines the light back on them and they don't want that. They're there to not think about that and have a good time. So they don't want you around sort of reminding them that maybe they're doing something (laughs) a little too often or a little too much in excess than they should be. And so then you sort of become the outcast or the pariah because they don't want you to ruin their buzz, man.
2: (laughs) Exactly. And I think that there's just a lot of ignorance and lack of education into the idea that everybody who chooses to be a non drinker is automatically labeled as an alcoholic. And I think that there's a huge misconception because the stigma that comes along with that, do I look like a homeless person with no shoes and a brown paper bag underneath the bridge? No. And it goes to show that this doesn't discriminate this disease and that no one, you know, any, anybody can get this at any time. And no one is immune to this disease. So I think that education is so important because there's this gray area, right? Of normie to alcoholism, of the spectrum. And we can stop anytime we want to. We don't have to wait until it's so destructive that everybody has written us off.
0: Of course, that's a great point too. I think what comes up for me is working in treatment for so long. What I see is, is when like, so I see- the parents that are there for their kids but then once their kids go to college or once the kids are gone they spend all this time like we drink on the weekend the reward is the weekend and drinking and relaxing but then once you lose all your habits or your structure or your job and you retire all you've done between working is drinking and relaxing so then once the working goes away or once the parenting goes away or the kids go away you've just spent 40 years only drinking and relaxing on the weekend and now you have all the time in the world to drink and relax and then it like you said it becomes problematic and and you can't stop because you've spent 40 years since high school drinking on the weekends but now your whole life is a Hmm. weekend so you just drink and then you're alcoholic and now we got big problems. (laughs)
2: <laughs> absolutely
1: yeah so michelle at what point did you realize or think that maybe you needed help or you had a problem was there some event that occurred or uh you just finally dealt with things what what was the turning point for you
2: it's a great question um you know I really was waiting for that rock bottom. And, you know, I found out that rock bottom had a basement over and over and over again. It wasn't the first hospitalization for fatal alcohol poisoning. It wasn't the second, it wasn't the third, wow. it wasn't the fourth, um, went to inpatient treatment after that CPS child protective services got involved and all of those external consequences scared me. You know, I, I, I had turned into a person that I never wanted to become or never wanted to be like my father. And I, you know, All of those things helped slow me down, but it was me getting out of treatment and relapsing after 30 days because it was independence day and I didn't have a plan and my house wasn't declared zero proof. And I had a moment of weakness and vulnerability. And after that, you know, four month bender after that, I woke up and I was done. I I was done showing up as this version of myself that was completely inauthentic at this point, I had destroyed relationships. I had destroyed my, my jobs, my family, everything that I loved. Um, and you know, it's just one of those things that until I was ready and I saw that there's only one thing that I can't do in this world. And that, that is, I can't drink Mm. and that leaves endless possibilities of things that I can do. And, that was the moment. It was thanks. It was the day of Thanksgiving in 2016. And I promised myself that no matter what, I will never ever pick up another beverage ever again in my life. That was my commitment to myself, regardless of who dies, what happens. Um, nothing today will require a drink.
1: Wow. I mean, yeah. hospitalizations, that, that, that's pretty serious stuff. That's not just, you know, casual mimosas every now and then to get to that point, that's, Excessive.
2: <laughs> it is very excessive. And my drinking didn't look like that at the beginning, you know, and it was very innocent, very um well controlled until it wasn't. And mm-hmm. this is just again to go and show that people don't think they can get that bad. When I walked into the rooms, I never thought I could be that bad either. But if you keep drinking for reasons that the solution will never be at the bottom of that bottle, you will become everything that you couldn't have imagined that you would become and that's what i was and being an adult orphan i think that the real thing that hit my heart was i was slowly killing myself and eliminating myself from my world and my family and i don't want my children to ever experience not having parents Mm. and so that was just michelle it's time we can't keep doing this you no longer have control over this and you don't have to label yourself, even though I absolutely am a grateful, proud alcoholic. At the beginning, I was just saying, I can't drink. I, I have problems with it. I'm a person who can't drink. And that's just where I'm going with it today. And I'm going to focus on just for today because that's all I have. And that really helped me kind of create that momentum and confidence moving forward to where I finally got to this life that I couldn't imagine ever escaping from. I never wanna go back, I don't wanna drink. I love my life and I never could have said that in early sobriety. Wow.
0: Yeah, I think that's the big turning point, right, is when you don't wanna escape the life you created. Then why would you ever go back to to drinking? And I think working in treatment, that's such a hard question and and clients would always ask me that specific question all the time. It's like, when did you get to the point that you didn't wanna use or drink anymore? And it's hard to answer because it's a lot of time that it took to accrue this life you didn't want to escape from. And that looks different for everybody and the timeline is different for everybody. But if your life, you know, if you continue to stay away from the things destroying your life, your life has to swing the other way and get better. You know, so I like that you said just for today, you know, just for today, we can try to make life a little bit better so that eventually you never want to leave it. So that's that's really cool to hear and I love that you said that. A question I had for you Michelle was so working in in jails and prisons and institutions and doing relapse prevention and working with mental health and substance abuse, how difficult was it and and correct me if I'm wrong, but how difficult was it for you knowing the tools and knowing what to do? but not it not working still did you experience that at all where it's like i know how to prevent relapse but i'm continuing to relapse like how difficult was that process for you
2: it was hard it was hard you know i had the phone list but i was sitting there in the grocery sh- in the grocery store parking lot i'm not going to use it now i'm already here yeah, yeah, yeah. my mind's already made <laughs> up you know i know what to do but i waited until the craving and the urge was so bad. And I had isolated so many people from my world that I didn't have that team, that network, that support lined up. Right. And I honestly didn't think I thought labels and the idea of forever was so daunting that I just I couldn't get past the chronic binge of relapse because I was looking at early sobriety and comparison, comparing. With long term, like this is how it's always going to be, mm-hmm. and so that that scared me, and I never got past the withdrawals and the shakes and the emotional roller coaster. That I would just tap out and say, "This isn't for me. This sober life is too hard." Um, you know, I I knew what to do, um, but part of me was just still so sucked in to the to the glamour, and I'm hurting, and this is the easier thing to do. And I was afraid to stand up and say, I don't want to drink. I, I want to do something different. I was just, I was afraid that I was going to be judged. And so insecurely, I just went with, along with everybody else. Like I was never a follower. I was always a leader. Um, and so my tools, I had them to answer your question. I just didn't use them, right. you know, and I didn't have the confidence in myself and love myself enough to know that I was worthy of a life without mind altering chemicals. And until I could really learn to look at myself in the mirror, like myself and love myself, did I realize that that
1: was possible for me? Wow. But isn't that like part of what keeps you trapped in, in that cycle is the culture that you're integrated into. So it's not like you going home and sitting in your room and and privately drinking. You're part of a group. It's the kids parties. It's the, you know, lunchtimes. It's the weekends. It's this group that you're a part of that there's this incredible sort of peer pressure. And the idea of quitting means you have to quit all that too. So that must add to the the, the seemingly like burden of like, now I got to be all by myself if I want to do this.
2: Right. However, it really, I was exposed to alcohol abuse through this culture of my mommy wine culture and going to soccer practice and filling my Yeti because everybody else was doing that with alcohol. Right. But what really was the hardest thing for me was even though you're exposed at a certain level with this culture and this group of women, I was then doing it at home and secret by myself. Mm-hmm. So I was exposed to it. I learned the behavior and I would leave happy hour. And you better believe I was going to the gas stations in the mini marts to go grab some cold bottom shelf boxed wine to rush home. It was awful where my where my addiction took me. It was top shelf, high shelf everything for years. And you know, and so that culture did that. It showed me and I got exposed to it, but then I started disconnecting because my drinking was p- becoming problematic for people right. and my family. And so if I wanted to continue to do it, I had to do it in secret. And that is where it really really got serious to the point where I wasn't drinking to Enjoy any of it. It was simply to black out two, three bottles of wine in an hour span, and I, I was just self-destructive. And so when I started shaming and getting quiet and doing it all on my own, I didn't have anybody to answer to. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like almost like my medicine. I and I that shame spiral of, well, I'm gonna punish myself because I've been bad with more alcohol, right? And it was like completely insanity. Um, I was just digging deeper and deeper and deeper where I'm just going to continue to punish myself because I'm unworthy of everything that I've worked so hard to build. And all I want to do now is escape my own reality.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's such a layered situation. Like as you're kind of explaining, you know, when people explain getting sober, they always explain it with like the knowledge of what they have now. So it's almost like we look back at it with like insight. Um, So hearing you explain all the layers of being in the field, having the answers, but it not using them and then it getting worse and then being stuck in a rut. Like I just have so much like, uh, like reality with it. I just understand that pain and that burden where it just becomes so difficult to, to change. It's almost too difficult to change.
2: Yeah. Especially when you're in the public eye with corrections and then you're an addictions counselor and you're I mean, it's really hard to be vulnerable and say, I have all the tools and knowledge and I'm not applying it. Like, how do you do that in public? Right. You know, professionals are held to the standard. And, you know, just like clients I have that are doctors, lawyers, nurses, school principals, you know, there's no, everybody is affected by this. Mm -hmm. It's not just certain people. And so that was the hardest part for me to say, I have to do this. My life depends on it at this point. You know, um, it's the game's over. I have to show up and talk out loud because I need the accountability and support because I want to live now, and I have to do what I have to
1: do in order to make sure that that happens. Of
0: course, yeah, I totally well, and, get and you that. made such
1: a key point is by speaking up you're now and, and joining the group, you're now holding yourself accountable or you're joining, joining a group that'll hold you accountable. So it's not this private, you know, in your closet, you know, with the the wine from the grocery store kind of thing, you know, that's, that's where true change starts when you start telling people about it so that they have eyes on you and can hold you accountable.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. I was so tired of hiding bottles in my house and wondering who was going to find them and you know, it just became this cat and mouse game. And it was just like, I don't know how I got here, mm. but I'm going to figure
0: it out. I love that. So, Michelle, I had a question for you. You, I, and obviously correct me if I'm wrong. So, you, you went to inpatient treatment, right? And then you said you relapsed, I think 30 days after, or maybe the first yep. day after, not sure. And then you continued to drink. And then there was, kind of this aha moment in Thanksgiving where you're just like, dude, enough is enough. Did you go, did you go back to treatment at all or was it just, you knew the tools, you knew the skills, you knew what you needed to do. And you finally were just like, let's, let's do it.
2: That was it. That was it. I created a holistic recovery program of what I knew I needed to do to hold myself accountable. And I couldn't find that anywhere else. There was definitely bits and pieces from treatment and the community and, you know, step work, tons of different treatment modalities. But I knew I couldn't just sing Kumbaya and drink matcha and expect my life to change. You know, it was like, I have to get to the root of why am I drinking? Why, why am I, you know, numbing myself? What is unresolved? And I think that's where people get so caught up is okay, I'm sober, but now my life's supposed to be great. No, that now that just gives you the idea and the opportunity to look at everything else that you were suppressing, right? And to do the work. And I think that as sober people in recovery are pretty awesome to be able to do some really hard work and transformation on ourselves. You know what I mean? Um, And so that's what I did. And every single day I just found my, I found community and I found podcasts and books and I learned about how it was affecting my body. Um, this is the only body I have. I want to treat her right. So she's around for a really long time and I have not been kind to her at all. So making my body hydrating it, you know, I couldn't even drink eight glasses, uh, eight ounces of water, but I could chug three bottles of wine with no problem and pop some pills. And
0: Yeah. I was good to go. You know, so it was just like water. No, that's where I draw the line. Yeah.
2: Right. (laughs) So, you know, it's just really just looking at my priorities and how am I taking care of myself and where did I get to this point and just doing really hard inner work was what I did.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think you, you hit it right on the head and we often say this, sorry. I had a dog, but it's, it's a lifelong journey of work. You don't, it's not like a one and done. Like I went to rehab, I'm fixed. Now I'm better. Life is great. It's like you've got to keep working and keep peeling back the onion layers and keep getting new tools and, and exposing yourself to new mentors and leaders and therapists and, and podcasts. Like it's just a lifelong journey. And I think those are the people that are most successful and happy are the ones that keep going on that journey as opposed to those that do it and think they're good. And that's where it ends exactly exactly that's when i start to get afraid when i'm comfortable or i'm complacent
2: how can i mix it up how can i download a new audible book or how can i have a new conversation because i have to keep it a part of my world not my entire world but it's important to me and it needs to be in order for me to remember where i never want to go back to and why i am on this journey right so absolutely yeah
1: Michelle so I, I had a question you did a TEDx talk I did what was that about what was that on
2: it was normalizing sobriety in our boozy culture nice really educating people you know it's like why do we drink because everybody does you know it's like it's not so fun to like do keg stands and adult drinking games and beer pong you know throughout your whole entire life, like there's more to life and really just, how can we end some of the stigma and shame around normalizing something that is really important to a lot of different people? And again, that spectrum of, you don't have to be a normie or a blackout, rock bottom, lose everything alcoholic, you know? And how you can support somebody, even if it's not a lifestyle that you're living. Because I, you know, with this pandemic, you know, I went into a lot of statistics about how people were reaching For comfort in this really, really heavy season of life. And it was very unfamiliar and people look for familiarity and comfort and safety when they're in a pandemic or in a crisis or in a transition of life that is not going as according to plan and just really shining light on um, the minority out there. And if we continue to just share our truth, that there's no shame in us deciding to be a non-drinker non-smoker a non-meat eater because i am all of those things and i am no longer going to live and feel small to make other people comfortable i just i can't do it if i want to save my own
1: life
0: that's awesome i gotta i I gotta and i
1: are still big meat eaters but we we got you on the rest
0: (laughs) yeah yeah and i think
2: i love my meat too i do but it's yeah
0: we all got different, different, uh, you know, I think that's a, that's an amazing segue too, is like, dude, all of our bodies are different. It's okay to not eat meat. It's okay to eat vegetables. It's okay to only eat fish. It's just like, it's okay to not drink and not smoke. You know, it's
2: exactly, exactly. And I think that, you know, where cigarettes were and like my friends, I have a couple friends that are vegan and I totally support them, but now I'm more mindful of, I'm going to have alternatives for you because I love you. I don't always want you to feel like you have to pack your own lunch, you know, and I want that for sobriety. Like if you're going to have mimosas or sangria, just don't put it all in the same bowl. I don't want to drink plant water. I don't want to drink a juice box. I'm not a kid. I'm not a plant (laughs) tap water, have alternatives. You know, this is the 21st century. We get to be who the heck we want to be and show up authentically and not feel shame for that. And so, yeah, like we bring it on, you know, I'm just like yeah. <laughs> have options and educate people. Just don't ask. Just don't make fun of them. Don't make fun of them for a decision that they're trying to make to better their life.
0: Yeah, no, yeah. I, I resonate with that a lot. And I, I kind of have a funny story. So a buddy of mine, a buddy of mine and I started a TikTok, right? And we didn't really know what we were doing, but it was definitely kind of like sobriety based and the most trending video we did was like a joke on like being at a party and someone handing me a beer and I'm being like no I don't drink like that's poisonous and then they gave me a LaCroix instead and that was basically the video but it got like uh, millions of views and like thousands of comments and all the comments were like hey that's really cool you gave him a LaCroix instead of beer or it was this guy's stupid. Like it was literally black and white. It was like, that's cool that you did that and gave him a LaCroix instead of a beer or like that dude's stupid for drinking a LaCroix. Like you drink alcohol at parties. Like what are you doing? And just how polarized it was just made me kind of like, you couldn't miss it that there, there wasn't a lot of gray area. There wasn't people like you saying, here's sangria, but also here's water and here's Coke and what do you want? And, it's okay to like and drink whatever you want to have. And it just kind of blew my mind that it was so polarized, like by the millions, it was black yep. and white. And I just kind of thought it was a funny story to to relate to that.
2: It is. It's so baffling of that. It has to be, it can't be the dialectic like this or that right or wrong, black or white. And it's like, I feel like just changing the words and reframing, no, thank you. I don't drink. I just say, no, thank you. I have mine, right? Because then I don't drink. Oh, wait, why? Mm-hmm. Curiosity, right? It's not because you care. It's because you're nosy and you want to know why. Right. Uh, and then some people really do want to know. And I'm absolutely more than happy to tell them that my life's better without it. Or I just don't feel good when I drink it. Mm-hmm. It depends who it is. You know, I'll have open conversations with people who genuinely want to know because, I noticed that i was more defensive and protecting myself at first me too and i i realized yeah and i realized that that was shutting off people who genuinely were like i'm watching you and i want what you have Mm -hmm. and i don't want to be that person and that's just not who i am and so you know i'm very my refusal skills you guys i had these written on an index card in my back jean pocket yeah i was so scared of what i was gonna say I mean, I go now, I go into a restaurant and everyone goes right to the cocktail menu. I'm eating my calories. I go to that dessert. What am I going to enjoy? And it's just getting my mind off of, I can't have that one thing, but I can have all this. Yeah. Right? Otherwise, I'm just going to be upset with everybody who can drink and looking at all those, you know, booze bottles on the rack. And I'm just like, I can't do that to myself. It's, It's okay that I'm choosing this life. And every single day it gets better and better and better. So, but it's, I think that there's more conversations about people coming forward and for dietary reasons, restrictions for religion and allergies and alcohol abuse, people are coming forward and just saying, I don't like the way this makes me feel call me a drunk, but I'm not (laughs) like, you know, so I think that, you know, there are people who really aren't that problematic that are saying, no, thanks. This doesn't serve me. I'm going to pass. So I do believe that conversations are happening and it is becoming more normal, but we have a long ways to go.
0: Yeah, no, we do. You're absolutely right there. You know, I think the layers of all of it is crazy. And I think like the biggest thing that comes up for me is kind of what we hit on earlier with the culture of how weird it is that us three have to explain that we don't drink, you know, and I, to look at it, like what comes up for me the most is like, kind of like the reward system where like we need this reward to live whereas living is the actual reward like we don't need yeah. to enhance like we we don't need a a reward for living like that is the reward i and i just most people don't see that i guess and that and that's i think the a lot of the problem is rooted in that sentence of Life is already a a reward. Like, why do we have to enhance it or make it so much better or need a reward to live? It's strange to me. And I I just kind of get caught up in that sentence and, you know, kind of wanted to get your guys' feedback on that.
1: Well, I'd see it's just insidious, you know, I think it does start out as a reward, but then it becomes, oh, I had a hard day or, oh, this bad thing happened or, oh, you know, so it starts out as a fun thing, but then, you know, the deep, the more people times people are enjoying the fun times, then it starts becoming a mechanism for the bad times. And so, yeah, it is very difficult to see life as a reward when a pandemic's happening. It's like, what's the reward in that? You know, <laughs> I, I can't see people. I have to wear Work a mask. Home. I have to stay isolated in my house there's no reward here. And so, you know, I think it becomes more of a a coping mechanism, um, which can be, you know, just as deadly as, as the celebration.
2: Mm -hmm. It's like escaping your own reality. I can't control it. So I'm going to squeeze those lemons in my eyes and, you know, make the situation worse. It's like distress tolerance, you know, it's like, I don't know what's happening in the pandemic, but I'm going to escape it and like put myself in like, you know, a time capsule and teleport. Let me know when it's over. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why sales went up so much. And, you know, this, this drinking is like, it starts out as fun and games and a, and a habit and a reward. And sure it helps you relax for 10 minutes, but you're chasing that exact anxiety and that exact buzz and, and to relax over and over the whole night. You'll never get that same buzz. It's impossible. And so I think people are just constantly have this idea that, oh, it helps me sleep and it helps me, you know, challenge my anxiety and decrease it. So I did that in early sobriety. I tested that, Michelle, if you believe that this this does help you sleep and helps you ease your anxiety because people drink because it provides a benefit. Right. It feels good, too. And so. I tested it. No, Michelle, you don't sleep any better. You don't get into a REM sleep. You've wet the bed. You're barfing all over your tile in your bathroom. This, this, what you believe to be true is not true. You are more anxious when you wake up than you were when you started and those challenging your beliefs and where those came from and Catholics drink. And that's what I did in mass. And yeah. it brings you back to these places of childhood and invalidated environments and trauma. And that's the beauty of the work that you guys can do that, you know, it's just like, let's get you into a safe place where a lot of the external tra- like triggers are away. way we're going to give you time and space to be present, get knowledge, Sober time, all the goodness without the distraction of life and life too. Like you said, people want to escape it. It's like, I want to live a life that I don't want to escape. So if you're drinking because you're so miserable at your job, Michelle finally realized she had to let go of that job, but she's going to die. Right. If you're not in a relationship that's healthy, you need to look at that. Like this life, we only get one. And if we do it right, that's all we freaking need. But if we're not happy with our life and that's not enough fulfillment, like you said, we need to really look at that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you
1: nailed it. That's a big part of what we do in the program is identifying toxic people, places, things that will lead to if you stay connected or in it or don't handle it, it's just going to lead you right back to where you're going. So that's a huge part of successful recovery is identifying the toxicity that you're attached to and having the uh, wherewithal and strength to detach from it.
2: Absolutely. Because if you I went back. And it was the same exact thing. I didn't do that work. And I didn't have a, a solid plan thinking, oh, I'm cured. My family said, this is the last stop. If this doesn't work, there's no other option for her. Right? So we put all of our eggs in one basket. Poof, you're healed. No, it takes a lot of work. Not just getting there and staying there is going to make this be successful. And so much of it, and I don't know if you guys see this is When people get home, if they're partners or children, like this is a family thing. Everybody is involved. It's not a spectator sport and they need to be educated and, you know, paraphernalia and alcohol and, you know, all the knickknacks and the decor and the wine shot glasses, like that stuff needs to be removed for people to be successful and have a shot at this. Because the moment they pop up social media or the news, they see it, jokes, jokes, Means advertisements in our face constantly. And it's not going to ever go away. Right, right. But I think that the family needs to, you know, be educated
1: and supported and loved as well. Oh, yeah. yeah we definitely have a checklist that we go over with the families about all the things because you're right. And, and we learned this the hard way because, you know, we just assumed that families would know, of course, you remove the alcohol before they come home. But or, you know, and I think a lot of what we have to clear up with people, too, is like, oh, but they're fixed now. Right. So it's like, OK, right. I can Still have my wine while they're there and it's no big deal or they're fixed so they can just have a glass of wine with our dinner that's what we've always done as a family so that's fine right so you're right there's a lot of education that has to go into uh letting the family knows like what, what they need to do to help this person uh, that's coming out be successful in their recovery because we've Absolutely. seen it too many times lead to relapse and they're calling us like, what do I do? And we're like, well, why did you do that? And so, uh, so now we know, yeah, it's better to give too much information and really, you know, set them up for success than just, you know, hoping the addict gives them all the information or alcoholic gives them all the information um, when they get home.
2: Absolutely. Yep.
0: Yeah. And I think it's a, you know, like, Uh, one thing that we've done that's successful is like letting the client know the the importance of all of that so they can tell their family. Because I think it kind of goes off the idea that you're in treatment, you're changing, no one else is. So it kind of becomes their responsibility to understand. And obviously, when you're getting sober, you can't know what it's going to be like because you haven't lived that experience yet. But us... As people that have lived that experience know that in those 30, 60, 90 days while getting sober or being in treatment, no one else did anything. They they kept doing exactly what they were doing. They don't have the problem. They didn't change. But you did, and it's your responsibility to create an environment when you get home where you can still be successful. And so I, I think that's an important point to mention is how... Like That's kind of what our goal is, is to share the, the pitfalls of moving forward in sobriety and trying to prepare the next person for the journey they're going to embark on. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Absolutely. And layer in that accountability, you know, so that everybody can't say they didn't know. It's like, you know, the 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 person coming out of recovery is laying down. Here's what needs to happen for me to be successful. And then the whole family is healing and being held accountable for each other and for their success.
2: Absolutely. And that's what I love. I love your guys' treatment modality, the way that you guys think, because it's different. And that's what makes you guys unique. And you know, for the treatment program I went into. It was really hard for me to be the patient and not the mm, not the one running the group. Yeah. And you know, I walked in and they thought I was an intern and I was like, okay, I'm putting my pride aside. Here I'm a client, you <laughs> know, and It was, it was, it was interesting. It was a very humbling, humbling experience, but yeah, I mean, that's just how it needs to be. And so many people, including myself, it's like, I can't blame the treatment program that I wasn't successful because of that, but I truly believe I have seen it over and over again. And I, I was the same way that is such a big piece in allowing us to be successful, you know, is that this is, if we go back to the same environment and the same people and nothing changes, then we're going to have the same problems eventually. And I think the thing for me too, and I don't know if you guys can relate or people that you've worked with, but you know, when I saw therapists and you know, when I went to treatment, it was always like in the back of my head, how can I keep alcohol in my life? Like how, what do I need to do? Because I'm so afraid of who I am without it because it became my whole world that everything seemed like it would be boring and not fun. Mm -hmm. Right. And it was never the concert in the beer gardens where I stood falling down the stairs. It was now going and seeing the live music and not having to rely on pictures from my memory. Right. But it was like, if you take alcohol out, would that even be fun? And I'm like, Michelle, just because alcohol was part of it doesn't mean that that's what made it so magical. Right. And I really thought it did. Mm -hmm. And so when I can go and experience my kids playing in the Pacific ocean and, you know, it's not me smuggling in something to numb out. I get to be, I'm running with them. I'm like involved in my own life. I'm not on the sidelines. And so for me, that was a huge piece was what hoops can I jump through and what can I say so that you can tell me the magic formula or the magic pill or how much I can drink so that I don't overdo it because I can't imagine me not having a glass of wine for a toast or ever again, you know? Yeah.
0: And that comes up so many times. And obviously, especially with people with alcohol addictions or abuse, because alcohol, be, everything we've already talked about, because it's so, so much in the culture, it's in weddings, it's in concerts, it's in parties, it's at grocery stores, it's at dinner. So that is a, a, a something that comes up all the time is like, how can I not live without this? How can I live a life where this isn't here? And it's hard to see something that you've never experienced, you know? And so it comes up all the time and, and and you hit it you hit it on the head is while you're in treatment or while you're getting sober, the days where you're just for todaying, you're proving that you didn't need it for whatever you did that day. And then after 30, 60, 90 days, you have... All this data, you have 90 days of living without alcohol. And I'm sure you could pick out that 50 of those days were awesome. You're like, wow, I played volleyball today and like I smiled and that was great. And I worked out today and I didn't need to drink with that. And, you know, I cried on the phone with my mom and it actually felt good to cry. And you know, I didn't need to drink. And, you know, so I, I love watching people experience that happen.
2: It's the, it's best. the best. It's the best feeling. And if you just like in, in also early sobriety, like I stopped, I started asking myself different questions. I said, Michelle, what is this going to cost you if you don't stop drinking, right? What value is alcohol bringing? How is it adding value to your life? Yeah. Is it taking more than it's giving you, Michelle? Like, let's ask the right question versus am I an alcoholic? Does that mean I have to go to AA? Does that mean all these mm-hmm. things fill in the blank? no, no. I want to test drive sobriety. I want to put some distance between me and my addiction and see what happens. I deserve to give myself a shot and beautiful, miraculous things happen when we do that, regardless if we're really far into an addiction or just sober curious, there are so many benefits to stop drinking and using recreational drugs. Like there's nothing good about them, (laughs) you know, except for the high that you feel for 2.5 seconds. And, you know, it's over and done with. And so I think that it's just like, ask yourself those questions. And I think you answer your own question,
1: you know? Yeah. yeah. yeah well, and I think a big part of it is, is having somebody safe with you to go experience those things for the first time when you're sober, you know, like a group of sober people yeah. going to a concert or doing these different events. We often encourage, you know, either sober coaches or buddies or just that camaraderie because you almost have to learn how to do all those things again without the alcohol. And the first time or second time, it could be really uncomfortable and weird because you're just sort of triggered by by this point, I'd be having this and by that, I'm having that. But it, the more you do it, like with everything, the easier it gets, the more fun it gets, the more you enjoy it and you realize there is a lot of fun. And man, it's pretty great because I actually remember the entire show. Like you said, I I remember the finale. Like it was awesome. Whereas before you might've been tapped out and blacked out by the time that point came.
2: Oh, absolutely. hundred percent. And that's, I love that because I take people to Costco all the time. And it's like, you know, Costco and Target every single holiday, whether it's Mother's Day, Valentine's (laughs) Day, New Year's, all the market, of the industry of alcohol comes to the front, they stage it perfectly. And so it's like, you know what, there are some days where I'm not spiritually fit to go in somewhere, I'm not going to challenge myself, you know, and we think we have it all figured out. But you know, I think too, when we look and get curious about our drinking, another really cool thing, I don't know if you guys again have experienced that, but it's like, you think that you just drink because it's habitual, and it's a pattern and it's addiction. But it's like, how did it become that and another way for me outside of the mommy wine culture i would think of oh it's hot out it's like 90 it's like never 117 we had in oregon last couple weeks ago it's like i like i equivalated that's even a word (laughs) the sun and alcohol right it was like the new hit where it was like these are connected and it's like, oh, wait, every Friday's payday. I'm thirsty every Friday. Like, let's connect. Why? Like, there's, there's rhyme and reason to our madness on a superficial level, right? 100%. It's like there's so many different connections and we don't get to experience those aha moments and why we're doing what we're doing if we don't remove ourselves from that substance that creates that opportunity where sober eyes are seeing this from a different perspective.
1: Right. Well, and it's doing the work again. Like that's one process we do. It's Mm -hmm. seasonal triggers where, you know, you kind of trace back the times in your life where you really like went over. And sometimes, yeah, it was like every Christmas this happened. And so weird every Christmas I find myself drinking heavy or, you know, Friday nights It's the end of the week. Oh, I worked so hard. Here's my celebration. And when you can start to identify uh, those specific triggers and patterns, then you can really start to become positive over either avoiding those or knowing, you know, if you put yourself in that situation you're going to feel a certain way and work yourself through that so it's really important to start identifying you know your brain putting it together of a time being okay to do that absolutely
2: huge huge eye joke eye opener for me
0: yeah absolutely so michelle my question for you is so you have some time sober now and getting your life to where you want it to be what do you still do now for your recovery like What is, what is your recovery kind of look like today? Like for the audience and and for me too, I love hearing about what people do to, to be in sobriety, to be in recovery, you know, X years later, obviously because people think the work you get to a certain, you know, ending point and you can just put everything down and just be sober now. So what does it look like for you today to be sober and in recovery and actively participating in that?
2: So I do a lot of things. Um, you know, a few things is I am really intentional about bookending my day. And so what that looks like is I start with intention. So that's 10 minutes. I wake up before my kids, not to my kids. Nice. I don't want to wake up. You know, I used to wake up to, you know, changing a diaper, then fighting over fruit snacks. And it set my day up to be on the defense and not the offense. And mm-hmm. so 10, 15 minutes of, you guys, I never got to enjoy a cup of coffee and watch the sunrise when I was drinking. True. I was hung over. I was sick. My husband wouldn't talk to me. And it's just like, it seems so silly to some people, but it's such beauty and reading out of the big book, reading the affirmation of the day, just something to center myself and give gratitude for me being strong enough to do what's right. And so I start my day with that and I end my day with gratitude. And sometimes it's reading a book. Sometimes it's just saying, you know what, three things I'm grateful for, Mm. right? I kind of close end that I do pockets of time because I'm a mom. And so I'm always listening to an audible on, you know, in my car or a podcast where I'm always, I truly believe that if we, if you have a mind full of sobriety or a head full of sobriety, drinking is never the same. So I have it constantly flowing through my head with personal development and just learning about the body and how this really affects our body. Because you can't argue with science. Right. True. And psychology. It is what it is. You can say I don't drink because it's bad for you. But people, you know, the truth but is, why the truth. is it bad for you. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so those are a few things that I do. You know, I have a private Facebook group where I serve and I show up every single day for seven thousand women. Um, I work needle exchange. I, you know, stomp the pavement in my community. I provide free service and and sessions. Um, I have a therapist, I'm on medication that helps support my mood, you know, and I just, there's so many things that I do, but I just, I serve, I give back. I talk about it. I keep it a part of my life and I'm proud to be where I am. And there's no more darkness and shame that, I just get so lit up by inspiring people and providing hope and support. And a lot of times it's like, I speak up until others are ready to, to talk or to find their voice because I know what it was like to be silent Yeah. and really just going into these corporate Americas and these schools and just saying, let's talk about reduc- like harm reduction and let's talk about prevention and education because fentanyl gummies are killing our middle schoolers. Like, let's just have conversations about real things because this is serious. Wow. Um, you know, and just, I'm working with the state and trying to get these alcohol labels. You know, I'm not just on social media talking about things. Like I am doing things that matter to me and I hope other people behind the scenes that someday will provide some regulations and some more attention to you know, treatment and this stigma that we have around not normalizing sobriety. So I, you know, there's so much that I love and that I'm doing and I just, I'm, I'm not going anywhere.
0: Yeah. (laughs) You're here to stay. I'm going
2: to keep doing it. And I wrote a book, which was super therapeutic. Oh man. Um, you know, journaling. And I never thought it, I thought I just had to do it because that's what sober people do. But oh man, such therapy, so many tears and just beautiful grief and healing that happened from this book. And I think good things are going to happen with it this year. So I'm really excited to see where it gets. And I just really want it to get into the treatment programs and the jails and the people who really need to hear that there is hope and that redemption can happen regardless of who you are and how far down you are.
1: Wow. Man, you are killing it, lady. Like, I'm listening to everything you're doing. I'm like, God, I should be
0: doing more. My God, are you, are you
1: listening to this? Like, I, there's more I need to be doing.
0: <laughs> you're amazing. So, Thank the you. book is it out yet or is it in the process of being published? What's it called?
2: It Recovery is the New Black. I and known it that. is. <laughs> <laughs> I known unless, that. unless a traditional publisher changes the name and that whole thing. But, um so it's in the hands of some people right now that are um reading it and making decisions so i hope that there'll be some movement the pandemic clearly slowed everything down right right right. so um being really super patient and just putting it onto the universe and whatever's meant to see you know happen and is gonna happen i've done my part that's
0: true you already wrote it yeah (laughs) yeah
2: yeah the healing's been done and whosever opportunity it is and whosever hands it gets into it'll get into the right ones so I'm super excited to see where that goes.
0: Yeah, of course. Wow. I would love to read it. I'd love to hear about it. And uh, I'd love to support the book in any way I can. That sounds awesome.
2: Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. And I appreciate so- you sharing, um, you know, everything you do in your own recovery. I think you you gave a lot of examples of what other people could do, not just because you do it and you're great, but because there's just so many avenues to take. And then it never stops. So I appreciate you sharing that. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And so um, for, for a wrap up, do you want to tell our listeners what else you're doing now uh, as far as uh, profession, what you're working on, where they can find you, that sort of thing?
2: Yeah, my website's Recovery is the New Black. And I have that private women only Facebook group. Mm-hmm. Recovery is the New Black. And then on Instagram, Recovery is the New Black underscore. And I am also a host over at Sober Mom Squad. So during the pandemic, five of us women in the um, West Coast, all moms were really struggling. And so we decided to start a free membership of talking about sobriety, motherhood, the pandemic, mental health, maternal mental health, and um, thousands and thousands of women um, signed on. Wow. Bonus moms, dogs, moms, bereaved moms, stepmoms, yeah. all the moms. Right, bring them on. I'll make you somehow. I can find a way to make you a mom if you need support. Even yeah. yeah. Dallas Could
1: you make Dallas a mom, I would love to see I'm that. My, hey, we can figure you it know, out. I'm,
2: we we can talk. Yeah, yeah. Um and it and it's turned into we have still the free group on um Wednesdays at one o'clock Pacific Standard Time, three o'clock Eastern. And we always have that open. And then we've extended it to a membership where we have 25 meetings. A week. Wow. We have group experts, webinars, coaching, tons of different things, but it's just, it's so awesome to see a platform of women coming together to talk about how hard this really is homeschooling, you know, all of these things and how we're going to get back to our new quote unquote norm. Um, and we try to keep the groups as small and as intimate as possible. Yeah. So that's been a beautiful project that we've been working on. And I'm very, very honored to be a part of it. And I didn't know how far it would go into the future, but it's still alive and people are showing up and it's, you know, the media it's, it's, it's gone all over the place. So it's being recognized and supported. So we're here for it. Um, and then, yeah, I, you know, I have I'm an addictions counselor. And so I do a lot of one-on-one services and really trying to help the inpatient treatment programs really help these women coming out of navigating and getting their families set up. I'm really super passionate about that right now. And I did buy seven acres which took me blood, sweat, and tears. And I have no idea, but someday I'm going to build a treatment program for women and their kids. Nice. Oh, um, great idea. Because that's that's something that I didn't have. And I didn't realize how am I going to go to treatment and not take my babies. Yeah. And I realized that I'm not gonna have my babies if I don't go and I never have to miss another Mother's Day, birthday, anniversary, my child's birthday ever again if I go and take care of myself. And so I know that's a huge barrier for a lot of people. And I'm really trying to look at ways that I can eliminate barriers for people Mm -hmm. to be successful. And I know that that's one way that's really needed right now. So someday, some way it's going to happen, but i have to put that out into the universe so that i don't just sit on it and it becomes my secret yeah and i just look at it
1: i think life. it's amazing <laughs> and, and i've seen it be done way 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 back in the day when i first started doing this um our executive director allowed a couple moms to come in with their toddlers and we had set them up in a house across the street and we had somebody sort of set with the kids throughout the day and it was super successful and they were really grateful to continue to be part of their kids life and um so i've seen it done i know how great it could be. Um, and I think that would be absolutely amazing for you to be able to do. And of course I are here for you to help support you or guide you in that process or whatever that looks like for you as well. Cause I think that would be killer to have a compound of all moms and kids and, and really, uh, heal, heal everybody at the same time.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you guys. Yeah. It means a lot. We got lots of work to do, but there's so many incredible people like you guys and your programs. And it's just like, we just got to keep talking about it. Just keep, you know, just spreading the awareness and the hope that this can happen. It happens to all of us. And it is a really beautiful thing. It's hard, but it's worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely worth it. I would have given up on myself so many times. I shouldn't be alive over, over and over again. And I'm still here, you know? Well, I think you're a
1: shining example that the more you put into it, the more you get out of it. Like anything, you know, you can half-ass it and be like, okay, or you can like go all in and you're going to reap massive rewards from doing that.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Michelle, for coming on our show. We're uh, really excited to put this on air and hopefully reach more people that can look to you for more help. Um, we really appreciate you sending people to us so that, you know, when they need a, a, an impatient place, you, we're here for you
0: and for all your people as well.
2: Absolutely.
0: It was so <laughs> nice to meet you, Michelle.
2: You guys too. I'll talk to you guys. Hopefully I'll be able to see you guys someday and go down yeah, there. Yeah, come
0: see us. Oh, we'd take love a tour. That.
2: I would love that. Yeah, we
1: would love that. Yeah, when you're ready to travel and we're ready to take visitors, we'd love to have you. Awesome. Sounds good. We go. Thank go. you guys. Thank you Thanks. so much.
0: Hey, enjoy the rest of your day.
2: Thank you. Of course. Right. Bye. Bye.
0: All right, guys, that's our show for today. We hope you found some value from listening. And if you did, please share with someone you know or love. You can find us on social media. We are at Elevate Addiction Services.
1: And if you or a loved one are struggling with addiction, please call our toll-free, confidential 24-hour helpline at 833-33-SOBER or visit our website at Elevate.